Good morning everyone, my name is Julie and today we're reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you'd like to bring that up on your device or in your Bibles, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're reading 1 to 9 today. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in, gen- in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, But I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Two-week series in generosity. We're up to week number two, if you haven't listen to last week's talk, please do so, uh, only because it will really help you to grasp the big picture we're talking about here uh, in generosity. Last week, we saw that God is generous, and the big theme uh, was that God, uh, everything's built on generosity from a loving God. This week, we're going to explore how Jesus makes our hearts generous, how Jesus makes generous hearts. They really go together, uh, so please do listen to last week. But if you, uh, as we begin, I thought I'd throw some quotes at you on the screen about generosity, and just to get your feeling, how do you feel about these? What do you think of these statements? Do you agree with these statements? Do you disagree? Then at the end, we'll come back to one of them and see if your view has changed or shifted or you are more confirmed in that. I do agree with that. So here we go. Some people you may know, I don't know who all of these are, but I thought I should credit where credit is due. John Stevens says, I don't think many people feel wealthy, and therefore they don't feel like they have much to give. Hmm. Bart Simpson said, dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Amen. John Wesley, the last part of a man or woman to be converted is his wallet, or her wallet. Or Stephen Harrison says, our relationship with money will either draw us or repel us from God. What do you think about them? Keep them in your head. We'll come back to that. Last week from 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 14, we learned everything's built on the generosity of a loving God. And we left last week by saying that God's generosity is seen most wonderfully, most beautifully in Jesus, who left heaven, came to earth in a generous act of self-giving love to forgive and change the inward trend of our hearts 
from stinginess and selfishness to people who are generous like our generous God. And so this week, we're going to explore the implication of that. What does that mean? How does Jesus do that in his life, death, and resurrection? Because the title of our talk is that Jesus makes generous hearts. And the big idea, big idea, and it is a big idea. And you may not agree with this big idea, as we say it. But the aim of today to reflect on is that generosity is a reflection of our spiritual health. Generosity is a reflection of our spiritual health because generosity is first and foremost a spiritual issue. Why? The inward trend of our hearts is me. And as parents, if you have had kids or are about to have kids, you'll know soon enough that you navigate this with young kids with toys and trinkets and things and stuff all of the time. It's mine, it's mine, I want it, they've got it. And mostly, as parents, we just are managing behavior at that point. We're not changing hearts, that's the goal, but we're really managing behavior when someone wants something, the other kid doesn't have it, it's, it's tricky. Then as we get older, though, this it's mine complex, it never really goes away, it just changes, doesn't it? You see, we have God-given commodities of time and talents, treasures, energy. The biblical story says, actually... They're not your own. And we began by last week by seeing that God is generous, that it all comes from Him. Which means if you think that it's, it's my money, and you can't tell me what to do, if you think it belongs to me, it's my work, I worked really hard, I'll relax every way that I would like to, thank you very much, that I will only serve someone when they fit my schedule, they have to fit me, That when it's my things and stuff, and I'll decide when, what, how, and why I use them because I have worked for it, it's my emotional energy. I will only give that to people that deserve it, and if you are not deserving, you won't get any of my time. And if we think like that, if that's in some areas of our life how we behave, then dare I say we've realized that we have a relationship with our time, talents, and treasures that's probably stopping our ability to be generous. And this is why 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9, a passage for today, is really, really helpful. Because we meet a church in Greece, of all places, just like that, with that exact same thinking. You can see on the map there, Corinth is the, the little dot in the middle. Full of wealthy people, highly gifted, highly talented, but in the year AD 56, something happened that caused Paul to write this letter about being generous and addressing that issue in these chapters. What's the drama? Well, they've got cold feet in the generosity department, in fact. They pledged to give towards a famine relief on the other side of the Mediterranean in Jerusalem. They said, yeah, we can give. We'll we'll care for one another and provide. And now it's time to cough up with the money. And they're feeling a little tight-handed, a little bit reluctant to give at the moment. And so Paul writes to them, I do wonder, if that was a situation, maybe at work or in your family, how would you address this particular issue? Maybe you would uh, command them using your authority. Uh, Paul was an apostle. He could say to them, I'm an apostle, you should. Maybe you just let it go. Don't like confrontation. Well, they said they would. Well, we'll just see what happens in the wash and it'll all be fine. Let's be very polite about it. 
Would you put on a sob story, beg them? Would you threaten them? God will punish you. You said you're not, you're lying, you're being deceptive. You, God's going to deal with that. Or would you pressure their emotional buttons and tell them stories of how deeply people are suffering and how they need your generosity and twist their arms that way? The good news is that Paul doesn't do any of that. He doesn't try to manage their behavior. He actually goes for a complete heart change in the generosity department. How does he do it? One thing. One thing is all he points them to. He gives two examples of this one thing, but he says one thing is necessary. And let me tell you two ways that this one thing plays out. Maybe you can see it and pick it on the screen. Verse 1 and 9 give us the answer. He says, I want you to know in verse 1, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Down in verse 9, for I want you to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What's the one thing Paul talks to them about? Two examples. Grace. It's grace. And that changes the generosity game. And the two examples he gives is firstly, he says that we want you to know about the grace God gave the Macedonian churches to be remarkably generous. And secondly, we want you to know about the grace that you already know in the self-emptying of Jesus as he became poor to make us rich. He urges them to think about Jesus' costly grace until the gospel changes them into generous people. That's it. And I get that from the phrase, you know, we want you to know. It means think and ponder. You don't know this, you should think about it. And you do know this, so think even more about it. Because I want to shift Jesus, he says, into the realm of generosity in your life to see how his grace changes your very hearts. So let's do that today. We're going to think and ponder over God's radically new generosity program in Jesus, which comes from his grace, it's for each one of us today. To paraphrase Paul here, I could say, I want you to know, brothers and sisters of Trinity Church Golden Grove, about the grace of our God and how in Jesus, he changes stingy, fearful hearts into joyful, generous ones. So three principles from this, these nine verses about how the grace of God operates in our life to be generous. Three things. Firstly, is that Paul is saying, you should be generous by grace. I'm not trying to coerce you into this. Generous by grace, not by coercion. So verse 1, he points to God's grace at work in a region of churches in Macedonia. Many churches. It's not just one church. It's many churches in this region as an example of generosity. They don't know this. They've never heard it, so he's going to give them an example here. We want you to know, because God's grace has done the most ridiculous thing you'd ever imagine. During a, a time of extreme poverty, they've been radically generous. Two exclusive things, you think, at times. Extreme poverty and generous. But look what happened. The poverty increased and the generosity did too. And the answer is verse 5. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Before the Macedonian churches gave to whatever was that was happening, they reorientated themselves to God because you can't be generous unless you give yourself to God first. It means they weren't giving out of compassion or compulsion. 
You might give that way today. But the gospel comes in and gives you another reason to give. Changing our motives, not compassion, not compulsion, but the gospel of Jesus allows us to give, not for pride, not for guilting, to give ourselves fully to God first and then to the cause. Because Paul says, because then after you gave yourself to the Lord, you gave yourselves to us. Be gripped by what Christ has done, his grace to them, and then see what happens after that. The question is, how do you know your motives when you give? How do you know that you're doing it for the right reasons? Well, give yourself to God. Be gripped by what he's done. And then they gave themselves to Paul. That's the cause. That was the need. He was telling them, you should give to the churches in Jerusalem. They're all in. They weren't hesitating. Yep, that's what God wants us to do. And that's the way that Paul asked the Corinthians to think about it. Look at verse 9. We've read it before. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so you might through his poverty become rich. It's the same phrase as verse 1. You know, because it's always a spiritual issue he's pointing to. What he wants them to do is realize how the truth of Jesus fits into every situation in life. And here, Jesus fits into the realm of wealth and generosity. But don't miss the point of what he means by rich to poor for Jesus. Jesus is not a socio-economical poorness that he has in mind. Jesus wasn't born into poverty. His family wasn't well off. He wasn't a beggar, though. He had money to give to others at times. He was no poorer, someone said, than any other person in his day. It's not economical here. Philippians 2, John chapter 1, they tell us what Paul means here. The Nicaea Creed says it very well in a succinct form. Jesus Christ, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Jesus and the Father God are one. And there can be no more beautiful picture of unity, of relationship, community, joy, reputation, in that Jesus was rich. His treasure was God. He is God. It's a spiritual richness. Yet, because God is a God of love and faithfulness and generosity, yet, Jesus leaves heaven, he becomes nothing, so that we, by his poverty, might enjoy spiritual riches, the riches that come with belonging to him. Jesus becomes what we are to make us as he is, you see, and he shares his riches with us. Isn't that amazing? This is grace. This transforms our hearts to be generous people, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Because the implication is if you truly grasp who Jesus is and what he has done, where he has come from, where he ended up, then it shifts your worldview. When you consider those in need, when you consider someone less off than you, it's like looking into a spiritual mirror. The superiority melts away and generosity grows. And that's why generosity is always a spiritual matter first. So, principle one, generous by grace, not by coercion. Secondly, be generous in ability, not the amount. There's a a story that goes, a, a guy died and got to speak to God, and he said to God, God, what's a billion years like? Like, you know, I can't fathom, what is a billion years like to you, God? And God looks at him and says, oh, that's just like one second. Wow, 
It's a billion years is one second. And the guy says, thinks about it and goes, well, what's a, what's a billion dollars like? And God says, oh, it's, it's like one dollar. You know, it's just I'm so, that's what it is. And the guy stands there and scratches his head and, and he says, he gets, gets smart with God at this point. And he says, God, can I have a dollar? And it illustrates a good point. The amount is never the issue for God. It's always an ability thing. Look at verse 2, 3. In the midst of this very severe trial, the overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. There's four um, adjectives to describe the situation the churches were in. Very interesting. It was severe trial, led to overflowing joy, led to extreme poverty, led to rich generosity. And it's a crazy progression. You don't expect those words to be attached with those particular things. But it's what God's grace does to you, you see. It breaks down the idea that you can't give or be generous in your stage of life. That you've got too much going on to be generous. Because it gets even more radical than that. They didn't give just as much as they could, which for extreme poverty would have been nothing compared to the wealthy Corinthians. But they gave even beyond their ability. Because gospel generosity is always more. It's a self-forgetting, extravagant generosity they showed, laid on their life and their wallets as well. You see, we tend to think of our, that our income is the primary way of providing for our family and us. And when we've done that, we think, oh, I should give to God. But what if Scripture comes along and teaches us the opposite? Jesus came to redeem our giving as much as any other part of our life. What if the radical call of Jesus is that God's primary purpose for our money is that we will be participants in His generosity story now? No longer seeing it as my wage. Which isn't how we view it as adults from kids and when you have the toys, the toys become our our wage. But because Jesus paid my wage of sin and death, my life is located in the generous, gracious hand of God. And so could there be anything more radical in our world, obsessed with money, to think differently about it in light of God's grace? So they gave beyond their ability, but... Hear me on this. We went way too far. Meredith, can you click back to the PowerPoint? I have a graph, if you like graphs, and I want to show you. The point is to not give what you don't have. Don't give what you don't have. There's a bell curve that we might be able to see in just a moment. Um, Ah, we've gone. That's fine. Turn it off. There's a bell curve. And it pictures the the, the types of people in a church community. 15% are in struggle town. 30% are steady. It's going up to the top of the bell. 40% are are, are well off. You're okay. And then the the last 15% or so is in the stable part of life. And that's a typical church growth bell curve right there. Which means that some of you all fit into that bell curve, essentially. So some of you shouldn't be giving. 
You see? Or not much at all. But some of you should be giving way more. It's generous in ability, not the amount. Because everyone should recognize God's grace to them and then live accordingly in that. And you do that first by giving yourself to God, you see? So, generous in our ability to be generous. And that will look different for every single one of us. There you go. Hey, it's up there. I don't know where you fit, but give yourself to the Lord first. And the third thing is generous for others, not ourselves. Because, you know, giving is a privilege when you belong to Jesus. Have you ever thought of it that way? Generosity is a privilege. Sam Chan, uh, in his book, actually, that we're going to read, uh, tells the story of this. He says, I'm the father of three young boys, and he's a doctor, and a few of the nurses he works with have recently become fathers. To help them through these hard moments of parenting infants under the age of three months, he says, I give each of them my daddy's survival pack. Two things, bottle of bourbon, which he calls a big brown sleeping pill, and two books on parenting. One time he asked one of the nurses if he'd drunk the bourbon yet, and he said, oh gosh, no. I put it on display because no doctor has ever given me a gift before, ever. You're laughing if you're in the health industry, aren't you, sector? Generosity is a way to show that you care. In verse 4 to 8, we see that in Corinthians. Paul says to them, essentially, you excel, Corinthians, in so many ways. More than the Macedonians ever could in every single way, you are the best. You are the most livable city. You have the most of the gifts. You have, you're, you're wealthy, you're prosperous, you're great, except in one area, they eat you alive. In generosity. The Macedonians can't hold a candle to you, except in generosity they win. To put it bluntly, he's saying they're being stingy. He's cautioning them because they're in danger of being materialistic. And so he's representing Jesus to them in such a way that Jesus captures their hearts and minds more than material things. Paul is faith-raising, not fundraising, you see. He wants the grace they've received to be genuine as he's being genuine with them. He's not being sarcastic. He's not being derogatory. He's not being sneaky. He says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you. I want to test the sincerity of your love. He's asking him, do you understand the gospel? He genuinely cares for them. He wants them to excel in following Jesus, not just in speech or knowledge or gifts, but in generosity too. Why does he say that? Because generosity is a reflection of our spiritual health. And Paul wants them to be spiritually healthy, you see. The question we should each consider is, are we spiritually healthy? Or are we a little bit malnourished in the generosity department? So three principles, generous by grace, not by coercion, generous in ability, not the amount, and generous for others, not yourself. So, what's the way forward? I think we could say today, to see the example and be the example. The Corinthians, their example they should see is, of course, Jesus, his poverty in making them rich. It's a solution to a stingy heart, to a grumpy attitude, to holding on, to hoarding, to feeling like, I can't. And when Jesus is at work, you get the privilege of being an example of his generosity as well. It's missional as well. 
this sort of living. The Sam Chen story shows that. But that people would see that we follow Jesus with our money and energy and time and talent and generosity after all because we've been redeemed to a new way of living. I told the story months ago of a Christian man in a Christian organization and he'd gone through a pretty rough time in life. Lots of things had gone on. The icing of the cake was his car broke down and he couldn't get to work on time. And he got there and, and, and he eventually had said, yes, my car's not doing well. I haven't actually got the money to pay for it getting fixed. It was, it was only a few thousand dollars, uh, but it, you know, whatever it was. And Christian organization, and one of the guys heard this, went to his boss and said, Jimmy, whatever his name is, Tom, he's, he's, his car's broken. Surely we can help him. We're, we're a Christian bunch of people. Can't we, can't we help him with this? And so they, they put the offering cup around, the coffee cup around one lunch and gathered up all the money they needed to pay for his car. And they generously gave it to him. Didn't expect anything in return, just we love you, we care for you, Here, here's um, we want to be generous to you. But the tricky part about that story is, the part I didn't tell you, is that every day this guy buys his lunch. Every day he bought his lunch. How do you feel then? Would you give to that man? Because generosity doesn't actually stop in that moment any more than grace stops. In fact, grace pulls you out of poverty into wise living just the way Jesus has done that for us. And so, yes, the man in that story, they also said, hey, let's talk about financial stuff as well because clearly there's a problem. But the first thing, as Jesus has done to us, isn't get your life together and then come and follow me. It was, you haven't got it together. Let me show you grace and generosity and then follow me in light of that. And so Paul is asking the Corinthians to partner with him in gospel work because Christians are generous in every sphere of life, but there is one way that you and me can be generous that no one else can be in the whole world because we get to partner with God at spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. You get to be generous with your time, talents, energy, in a different way that's directly related to God's work. It could be little things like welcoming those at church. It could be partnering with CMS or Bush Church Aid. It could be generous with your reputation and time at work, ready to listen to those who others don't. Giving a gift of the brown sleeping liquid to those you work with who are, who are, who are new parents, you know, whatever that is. It could be generous with your direction in life and saying, God, where am I headed? How can I be generous and glorify you? Last week after, after we spoke about God being generous, someone said to me, very rightly, sometimes money's easy to give, but I think in our culture being generous with our time is harder. For some of you, that's true. And I think it is the one area that is ridiculously counterculture to be generous in today. To be generous with our couches and our fridges. Not, not selling them for free on Gumtree or anything, but inviting people into our space, into our homes, to be generous with our food and our family and our time. That is a huge way, I think, today in our culture we can be generous. To see the generous example of Jesus and be the example of God's generosity to others. I do wonder what that would look like for you this week. I want to end with two, two stories of generosity from my own life. 
which very different ones, but I think illustrate this. And I count it as a privilege of following Jesus. And maybe you can think of certain examples too, because I know so many of you are generous. Many, many years ago, when we first got married, we had a friend of ours over for dinner one night, broken up with his girlfriend, and he was a bit down, down, and said, come for a meal. Not a Christian fella. He came for dinner one Tuesday night, and for six years he didn't leave. I mean, he went home, but he came back the next Tuesday, and he came back the Tuesday after. After about three months, he said, oh, can I bring a friend? Yeah, come along, and they came. And then after about a year, they said, can I bring someone else? Yeah, come along. And soon after, I think it was six to eight years we did this, and we had about 12 people every Tuesday night in our home. Non-Christians just coming for dinner. It was incredible. We're being generous. We're doing it because we loved him. We wanted to share the gospel. And some of the best conversations we had were over dinner. Some weeks nothing happened and we just talked and laughed, but they came to our home. The other thing we found is that end of last year, we were in a very unique position. We sold our home. We've, We've moved into a new place. And we thought, how can we be generous? What does that look like? And so we gave to the Bible College, South Australia. No one knew that. No one's telling me I should. The question was, how can we be generous with this very unique moment in our life? What does it look like to glorify God with it? And it wasn't a huge amount. It's not going to put the college, you know, above their budget for 10 years to come or anything. But we were generous in a little way, asking God, we'll give ourselves to you and then to the cause. What's the best for God's glory? And yes, you hesitate before you click transfer on the bank account looking at it, but it's not about that. At the start, one of the quotes I said, our relationship with money will either draw us or repel us from God. And in light of 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? I do hope that over the last two weeks, each of us are a little bit closer to God a little bit more aware that Jesus is making our hearts more generous every day and that we're feeling a little bit less close to things and stuff than maybe we used to. And so as you go to your week, maybe over coffee, if you want someone to pray for you or share, but even as you go into Monday morning, in what ways has God, the gospel challenged you to be generous over these last two weeks? In what ways has the gospel challenged you to be generous people? I can't answer that for you, and I do pray that you'd think on it and reflect, and that by God's grace, you'd give yourself to Him, and then to asking the question, what does it mean to be generous? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thrilled to bits that you're generous, and you left the place you belong by the, by the hand and the side of God the Father Almighty, to come to earth, laying aside the riches that belong to the Son of God himself, to live and die on a cross, surrounded by people mocking and cursing you, to rise again, to proclaim to your world and your people that you make generous hearts and you forgive the inward trend of sin and selfishness. And and we get to live in response to that. And so, Lord, may we do that as an individual and a church community. Just be generous time, talents, treasures, whatever it looks like. Lord God, we want to be generous as you've been generous to us in response to your grace. Help us do it. Amen.